All right, as they're heading downstairs to have some fun, we're going to stay up here and hopefully have some fun together. So if you don't know me, my name is Andrew, and uh, I'm excited today as we wrap up the third week in our series called Together. All right. And in this series, we've been talking about the reality of biblical community and what that can look like and some different aspects there. And today we're going to be talking about uh, some things that I think are really difficult for us to do as individuals. And I think even harder to do as a community. But they're things that help bring life and health into a group, into a body of Jesus followers. And we're going to be in the book of James James chapter 5, we're going to be looking at the first few verses there. So if you have a Bible, you feel free to open up uh, to that. James 5.13 is where we're going to be starting. Um, if you don't know, we have a follow-along page on our website where it has all the points for today and the verses if you'd rather do that. But uh, we're going to be in James chapter 5, and we're going to see James point us in certain directions in life. All right, He's going to call us to move in certain directions in life, and I think you'll, you'll see what I mean as we move through today's text. So we're going to start. We're just going to dive right on in. James chapter 5, verse 13. And this is what it says. It says, Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. All right, so James calls us to do two things. He calls us to do what? To pray and to praise. Now those are two things that probably aren't too mind-blowing, you know, hearing someone up front in a church saying, hey, we should pray and praise. Like, we, that's literally what we just did for the last 20, 25 minutes. We, we spent time corporately praising and praying. But let me ask you, in life, who do you go to first? You know, do you have that person in your life when life gets hard that you're like, man, I just have to tell my spouse or my BFF, I just need to go to them because, man, this happened or this happened, whether it's good Man, I just got this new new raise or job or whatever. I just I gotta text them. I gotta tell them. Or, man, this just happened in my life. I have to vent to somebody. Who's that person you go to first? Because James, he isn't just calling us just to just pray whenever or to praise whenever. See, he says, "Are any of you suffering hardships?" I'm sure some of us are suffering hardships. Or he says, "Are are any of you happy?" You should praise. He, he's kind of trying to fill. Every scenario in life, in everything, he's basically getting at, hey, if you're suffering, that equals talk to God. And in happiness, that equals talk to God. The Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, pray without ceasing. Now think about that. Think about your past week. Was prayer and praise part of your past week? We just had it here together in the last 20, 25 minutes. But is Prayer and praise, something that, if you look through the events of your, your past week, is prayer and praise something that you could say, yes, it was there in my life. As Christians, we, we, we know that we're supposed to pray and we know that we're supposed to praise. Those are, are kind of Christian words. Like we, we expect a church to talk about that. But James, he's really getting at this idea of we live life in relationship with God. In all circumstances, we're taking all things, the bad and the good. Whenever life is coming at us, we're always to take it upward. We're always to take it before our Heavenly Father. He's getting at the idea of living in communication and in communion with our God. And is that something that's been a part of your life this past 
week. Prayer is one of those things that I think we, we talk about and we, we kind of have a general idea about, but prayer is a really, at least for me, I'll just speak for myself, prayer is a really challenging thing. There are seasons where prayer just seems like it's, this is just such a duty. I, just have to, I know I have to do it. It's the Christian thing to do, so I'll do it. But prayer is meant to be way more than just something we do. It's meant to be something we get to do. There's a, a quote that I, I, read, I read recently, and it says this. It says, not only does God command us to pray, he permits us to pray. Prayer is both a must and a may, an obligation and a gift. Think about that. Jesus, he teaches us how to pray in the Sermon on the Mount. We all know our Father, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, he teaches his disciples ways and, hey, this is the type of things we should be praying to our Heavenly Father about. And so we should pray. It is a command. It's something we should do, but it's something we get to do. Think about it. The God of the universe humbled himself enough to come to earth to be with us, to be like us. And now we get to be in relationship with him. We don't deserve that. We get to enjoy that because he allows it. And so we get to pray. And so prayer is something that's meant to be in our, in our lives as individuals, in our relationship with Jesus, but it, it should be part of our community as Jesus followers. And, and a couple of things that, when thinking about prayer, things that have helped me in the past because Prayer, I think it is a challenging thing. We're, we're so used to our fast-paced life. We're so used to getting things instantly here in our culture. We're just so used to so many things that I think go against what, what real prayer is. But two words that have helped me is the idea of honesty and helplessness before our Heavenly Father. Because sometimes we can take Jesus' words and we think, all right, this is the formula for what I should say. And it's, it's true, Jesus points us in a certain direction. Scripture points us how we should pray, but it's about a relationship with God. And if you're talking to your best friend or your spouse, they, they know when you're not being honest with them more than likely. When you're trying to pull a fast one over their eyes, there's a chance that they, they, they probably, they know, like, hmm, there's something, there's something off here. How about the God of the universe? He knows who we're not being honest with. Him. And so in all things, whether it's hard or good, we should go before him in honesty. And I think helplessness is a huge part uh, of what prayer, of what praying to God looks like. Because so often, I don't know if this has been you in prayer. I oftentimes I'll go to prayer with my agenda. I'm like, all right, God, I need to inform you about all that's happened in my life this past week. And I need to tell you the best way to solve all those problems for me. It's almost this. All right, I got to educate God on the bad things and the good things in my life, and I need to get him on my agenda. But that's not how it should be. He's the God of the universe. I should go before him as my father. And father, help me. He already knows what's going on, but he wants relationship with me. If prayer is a hard thing for you, there's two things I'd encourage you with. One is... Get around people who pray. If prayer is something that's challenging for you and you want to learn more about it, get around people who pray. Uh, when I was a student at Lancaster Bible College, there was a, an older man who worked there. His name was Jim Wycliffe. And he was just a man of prayer. And it, it wasn't that I was around him and I just learned all these secret words to say to God or like the magical formula. But he just, 
there was just something different about his prayer life. And so I spent time with him, and that just rubbed off on me. And so if you want to learn how to pray, look around and say, who are the people who, who are praying, who have that relationship with Jesus that, that I want to have, and spend time with them. And lastly, an, another thing about prayer that's helped me has been the idea of pray until you pray. Pray until you pray. Just the idea of get before your Heavenly Father with honesty and just pray until you pray. Talk to Him. Be honest before Him. Be real. Pour out your heart before Him. Think of all the Psalms where it's just people pouring out their heart before God. It's not this, all right, we got to thank God for this meal and we got to go through this ritual. No, it's I need God in my life, so I'm going to pray. And so we should pray, I think, until we pray. And so as a faith community, James is calling us in the direction upward, saying we should be a people that move upward in prayer and praise. And he's going to keep developing this. Um, in verses 14 and 15, he's going to keep talking about prayer. But he moves in a little different direction about a specific circumstance. And he doesn't just call us to move upward now. He also calls us to move outward, as you'll see. All right, so James uh, 5, 14 and 15, he says, Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. All right. So James, he's continuing in this idea of prayer. But now he said, hey, if you're sick, what does he say? You should, you should call some other people. All right. He, he's now saying not just you should just move upward. You should get other people on board with you to pray on your behalf, to, to go before our Heavenly Father together, to be a community of prayer. Now, these, past, these verses here, I think, can be a little confusing. I think can be a little challenging. They've been understood in different ways by different people over the years. Um, it's talking about, it says, are any of you sick? And some people have taken that to be spiritual sickness, like sin. Um, I personally, I, when I read these verses, um, I have taken them to mean physical sickness, and it's talking about physical healing. That's, that's the way that I have read them and understood them. Um, but I believe that it's physical sickness caused by sin. And you see that at the, the end of verse 15 says, and if you have committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. And then the context of verse 16 helps kind of emphasize that. So I think it's talking about if you're sick, you should pray to God for physical healing, and it, but it's sickness caused by sin. Now, if you just had these verses, there are some, some different ways you could uh, approach that, this idea of sickness and sin. Uh, and it talks about being anointed with oil. Like, what does that mean? Uh, there, there's different ways that people have understood that over the years. And I think there's, there's two main ways that it could be understood. One is the idea that anointing of oil could mean uh, medicinal use. Um, it, oil, being anointed with it, using oil was something that was practiced in the ancient world. Um, and so people have talked about this passage as, hey, gather together and pray and engage in the common grace of medicine. All right, that's, that's a way people have understood that. And, and I be, personally believe in the common grace of medicine. And, and we see in 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach. He, he tells him to, to use something to help with 
uh, physical ailment. But the other way people have understood that is that, hey, oil, being anointed by oil, was a common practice in the Old Testament of helping to set someone apart. You know, someone comes and they get anointed with oil because they're going to be the next king or priest or whatever. It's a, it's a symbolic way of saying, hey, this person is set apart before the Lord. And so another way that that could be understood is that, hey, come together, pray together, and we are setting this, symbolically setting this person apart for God, asking God on their behalf for healing. But either way, the main focus of this passage is prayer. That's the main focus. It's, hey, if, if you're sick, pray, gather people to pray over that. But this passage, um, if, you, if you just have verses 14 and 15, and that's all you ever had about prayer, I think you could come to some potentially wrong conclusions. James is talking very matter-of-factly. But one of the things when we're reading Scripture that we should do is interpret Scripture with the rest of Scripture. That's just a, a good thing, a good practice to do is, Hey, what does this passage say about prayer? What does this passage, what does this passage, or, or whatever you're studying or reading about, getting the whole the whole countenance or, or community of Scripture together and like looking at this verse and this verse and this verse and comparing them and whatnot. That's a good thing to do. And so with verses 14 and 15, one of the wrong conclusions I think people have come to is this, is this idea that sin equals sickness, or vice versa. Sickness equals Sin. That was something that people in the ancient world, uh, that was a common belief. That, hey, if you're sick, you must have done something. God is judging you. Or, hey, man, you haven't been to church in a month. You've been sick. Man, I wonder what sin you did. Like that, That's a belief that people have come to. And I don't think it's necessarily right. Because when you look at other passages in Scripture, you see something else. In John chapter 9, Jesus and his disciples are walking by a blind man, and his disciples are like, hey, Jesus, who sinned, this guy or his parents? Basically, is he struck down blind because he did something wrong or because his parents did something wrong? And Jesus says, neither. He says, this man was born blind so that God could be glorified through him, and then Jesus heals him. And so we have a, a case of a physical ailment, that's not because of sin, all right? Or you look in the Old Testament and you see, see Job. If you remember Job's story, all the things, sufferings he went through, even physical ailments that he had, it wasn't because there was a specific sin in his life. And so I think there's a wrong conclusion to think, man, if, if we're sick, it's because of sin in our life. Now, is that a possibility, though? I think so. I mean, James is, is alluding to that. We see in Acts chapter 5, we see uh, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. If you're not familiar with it, the early church is just formed, and Ananias and Sapphira try to pull a fast one over the church. They, they sell their land, and they give their money to, to the apostles uh, for the early church to help other people. And they try to say, hey, we're going to tell everybody we gave them all the money, but we're actually going to keep our wallet at the same time. So they, they try to pull a fast one. They try to lie, and God strikes them down. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul talks about people who have become sick and then fallen asleep, meaning they've died because of the sinful, shameful way they've been approaching the Lord's Supper. And so this idea of could someone be physically sick because of their sin, that, 
That's in Scripture. That is a possibility. But then think about all the times in Scripture where someone sins and they don't get sick. Like, so we have to um, be, be honest about the reality that, hey, you could be sick because of sin, but we shouldn't make a one-for-one correlation. All right? The other thing that I think we should avoid is this idea that if I pray with enough faith, physical healing will always happen. If I just have enough faith, I can heal anything physically because of my prayers. Now, I, I, I personally believe in the power of prayer. I believe God still heals people even today. I believe that miracles still happen. I believe that we should pray in faith as individuals and as a community. But I think prayer is way deeper than just I take my agenda to God and if I have enough faith, he fulfills my agenda. I think prayer is more about, hey, this is about having a relationship with the Almighty God and he's always going to do things according to his will, not necessarily according to Andrew's will. And so we should come before God in prayer in faith, but when it comes to physical healing and anything, we should always know that God is going to do things according to his will. And sometimes his will might be, you know what? I'm not going to heal them the way you want me to. And again, comparing scripture with scripture, we see the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. In 2 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul, he goes before the Lord three times about something he calls the thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it was, but imagine that. Like, that sounds terrible, describing it as a thorn in your flesh. Like, whatever it was, it was awful. And it says that it was brought on to him by a messenger of Satan. All right? So this is a terrible thing. Whatever he's experiencing, it is awful. But the Apostle Paul goes before God three times. And God does not take this pain away from him. Now, if anyone was able to pray in faith to God, it was the Apostle Paul. I mean, I'm not going to question the Apostle Paul's faith in the three times he went before the Lord about the thorn in his flesh. And you know what? The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, I'd encourage you to read it sometime. He, he says, you know what? I realize that God allowed this thorn in my flesh to humble me, and so that God's strength could be seen through my weakness. And so it's through prayer that he realizes, you know what? I came before God in faith, asking for him to heal me and take this away, and I found out God had a different plan in mind, and it was a good plan. It probably wasn't a fun plan, but it was a good plan. And so maybe God has a different plan in our lives when we suffer, than what we think the plan of our life should be. And I don't think that should surprise us as Jesus followers, but I think it does, especially here in America, because we are used to having life go the way we want it to. We are used to, hey, I I can get anything almost instantly. You know, with Amazon Prime, I can order something, and it's, it's almost on my doorstep before I hit, like, buy. Like, it's there so quickly. I can get information so fast on Google. I'm so used to my life just coming quickly and for me getting what I want. But maybe me getting what I want isn't what God has in store for me. 
maybe it's through suffering that actually God's going to give me something better, which is a deeper relationship with him, which is an opportunity to witness to someone else, which is an opportunity to come together as a faith community and to move towards our Heavenly Father together. Now, I fully believe in the power of miracles, and I fully believe that God still does heal. And there's tons of stories of physical healing. But there's other stories of healing. And actually, I'm looking around this room, and there's tons of them right here. Because there's more to life than just the physical world, right? We're also spiritual beings. And I look around this room, and I look at the, around this room to those who know Jesus, and I know you know Jesus, because I know some, some of your stories, and it's like, wow. There are literally tons of walking, talking miracles in this room. Because think about that. If you place your faith and trust in Jesus, what has happened to you? You have literally come back from the dead spiritually. Like, that's what the Bible says. We were dead in our trespasses on our way to hell. There was nothing we could possibly do to save ourselves. And now you are alive. To me, that is a huge miracle. And the miracle of eternal salvation, I do think, is bigger than the physical healings in this life. Do I love when God works in the physical world? Yeah, that is awesome. But I think oftentimes we can get fixated on what happens here in our flesh rather than, you know what, maybe God has bigger agendas in the heavenlies. Maybe he's working through our suffering to refine us and to make us more like him. And it's the thing that's going to drive us to our knees and move us upward in prayer. And I don't always like that because I like it when life is easy and I like it when I have security and I like it when I know what's ahead of me. But the reality is that's always just an illusion because I really don't know what's ahead of me. But the God of the universe does. And I need to trust his plan even if I don't understand his plan. All right, so that's, that's our call upward as a community. I think, to in all things, whether it be good or bad or the ugly, to be constantly moving upward towards Jesus in prayer and in praise. But he's about to give us an even harder thing to do. And I don't know about you, I'm like, what could be harder than prayer? What could be harder than asking like God to uh, uh, help me to understand the, the suffering he's doing in my life? Well, I think there's something even harder but something that can be so good for us as individuals and as a community. And it's in verse 16, James 5, 16, he says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person is great power and produces wonderful results. I think this may be the one of the hardest commands as Jesus followers from from, from our Lord and Savior, the idea of confessing our sins to each other, to literally move outward, to move towards other people, not with the good things in our life, but with the junk in our life. At home, when, you, uh, when your trash gets to, to build up in your kitchen, what do you tend to do with that trash? Do you tend to leave it there? After a while, if you don't take it out, it's going to let you know it needs to be taken out, right? It starts to smell. It starts to build up. It starts to get gross. And that's exactly what happens in our life 
as Jesus followers who've been brought out of darkness into light, when we let the darkness fester in our hearts, it starts to build up. It needs taken out. When I was younger, uh, I had a lesson in confession. When I was in first grade, I stole a toy from my first grade classroom, and no one, no one found out. I got, got away with it, and it was awesome. Like I got home as a first grade, I was like, yes. I got home, and I got to play with this toy. It was great. But then as I started to grow up, a few years went by. As I started to get to know Jesus more, that darkness I brought into my life, it started to fester a little bit. And the Holy Spirit started to convict me, and I started to realize, man, that was wrong. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have stolen that. And what I thought at the beginning was, man, no one knew about this. But the reality was, Jesus knew about it, and I knew about it. And so finally the darkness from that just, it just ate away at me until a point where I was like, you know what, i gotta, I got to tell somebody. So I told my mom, and then I went and told my first grade teacher. And it, thankfully my first grade teacher was awesome. And she forgave me, and it was great. It was a great lesson in confession and forgiveness for me. But as I've grown older, there's been other times where I've sinned. And it's like, oh, I'll just sweep that under the rug. And you know what? It lets me know it's under that rug. It just keeps growing and it just starts festering, just like that trash in my kitchen, and it starts to smell. And it's like, oh, I gotta take this out. In Psalm 32, King David is writing about sin that was in his life. And if you know anything about King David's story, he had some secret sins, right? Some things that he kept secret, like planning to murder somebody and adultery. And in Psalm 32, he says, in verse 3, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Think about that. He, he, he knew in the pit of his gut, like, I have sin in my life, and it was, like, physically impacting him, and he was wasting away because as children of light, we're not supposed to have darkness in us. And so when we keep that sin in, that's what happens. And so let me just ask you, is there any... Any of that secret junk in your life, that gnawing in your gut feeling, whether it's pornography or, or a gossip or a cutting or, or maybe, maybe you are flirting with someone who isn't your spouse. I, I don't know. But how freeing it is to live without any secrets. And it's hard, I know, to step out and to confess to, you know, there's other commands in Scripture where Jesus tells us to move towards people and like love and to serve them. And that's like, yeah, I can get on board with that. But to actually move towards someone with the junk in my life and say, hey, I have to confess this. That's hard. It's not going to be easy. But it's so, so good. Pastor Matt Chandler says this. He says, the only way to kill darkness is to drag it into the light. You will not win on your own. Because the only way to kill that darkness within you is to just drag it into the light. You can't do it on your own. We have to come to a place of helplessness. We say, you know what? I can't do this. I need help. And so we need to move upward in prayer and outward in confession towards our brothers and sisters. And that's challenging. But it's so, so good. And so I'd encourage you to think about that. How can you move outward with that junk in your life? Now, I don't think James is calling us to stand up and to publicly declare it to everybody. I don't think he's saying, hey, go on social media 
and post about it. I think we need to be wise in how we do confession, all right? Because I know there can be lots of pain and hurt from, hey, I opened up with someone once and they took it the wrong way and it wasn't helpful. And I know that that's a reality. So we have to have wisdom in how we do this. And part of it is being intentional to build relationships with people, to build trust with people so that you can have an opportunity to confess before them. If you don't have a relationship with someone, it's probably not a great place to like step into that confession, all right? So maybe start with some intentional time in community with other people, building relationship with them and testing those waters of trust. Build that trust so that you can confess to them when darkness enters into your life. Because we still live in this earth. We're still going to fall. We're still going to sin. And the opposite of that is the fact that, hey, James says, hey, confess your sins to each other. And he says, pray for each other. So it's this idea of, hey, if there's darkness in our life, we should take it outward to other people. But then we should be conduits there to receive that and to pray for that person. To help lift them before God together. Think about a community like that. The the health and, and the beauty of that, of being there for each other. But a community like that takes time. It takes intentionality. It takes building those relationships. And so, are you building those relationships in your life? With at least another person that you can say, hey, if darkness entered into my life and the Holy Spirit convicts me, I could take it to them and have them pray for me. Do you have someone like that in your life? All right, moving on, because we're we're running out of time. Uh, James 5, verses 17 and 18. All right, so James this whole time has been talking about prayer, and now he's about to give us an example of a person who prayed. All right? And he brings up this guy named Elijah. If you don't know anything about him, you can read his story in 1 Kings, starting in chapter 17 of 1 Kings. But James says this. He says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now if you know Elijah's story, you know he's legit. He's awesome. Like he was a man of God. God uses him um, to um, come before and contest King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. And if you know anything about them, Really bad king, really bad queen. Um, he uses him to bring a young boy back to life. He, uh, God miraculously provides for Elijah in the wilderness as he's during this drought that happens. And God sends, he sends birds to feed Elijah. All right, Birds bring food to him. Like, how cool is that? Seeing God provide day after day after day in such a miraculous way. And then God uses him to confront the prophets of Baal, the false god that King Ahab and Queen Jezebel were worshiping, and God sends down fire from heaven uh, to consume. There was this contest between Elijah and Yahweh and Baal and his prophets, and the contest was, hey, which God can consume the altar with its sacrifice on it? Whichever one can do that by fire is the true God. And the prophets of Baal pray all day, and nothing happens, and then Elijah's like, I'm going to dunk it in water, and then I'm going to pray, and one prayer, fire comes from heaven. Like, it's awesome what he sees and what he experiences. But then after that amazing, miraculous event, fire coming from heaven. I mean, if you prayed and fire came from heaven, how, how would you feel? Like, 
yep, I'm not going to doubt God anymore. Like, that would be pretty awesome. But then the next day, Queen Jezebel's like, all right, you got rid of all my prophets of Baal. Elijah, I'm going to get rid of you. And Elijah runs away. He flees into the wilderness, and he's so distraught that he asks God to take his life. This is the man of God that God has miraculous, miraculously provided for day after day after day. God has used him in so many powerful ways. He's answered Elijah's prayers, and yet he got afraid, and yet he doubted, and yet he stumbled. And as James says, he says, Elijah was a human being even as we are. He's talking about this idea of prayer that, hey, the people of the Old Testament, like Elijah, they weren't superheroes of the faith. They were normal people like you and me, and God used them because they prayed, because they moved upward. God is inviting us into that same type of relationship that he had with Elijah and, and the, all the Old Testament saints, to have a relationship of, with him where we can move towards him in prayer and praise, and God uses that powerfully. Now we have two more verses. I want to get get through them quick because we're running out of time. But in here now, in the last two verses of James five nineteen to twenty, he says, "My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness." Of many sins. All right, so James, in the verses before, he called us to move outward in confession and taking our junk outward, like, hey, I did this, I need to talk to someone, I need to confess this. Now he's saying, hey, if we see darkness in our brothers' and sisters' lives, we now need to move towards them in care. He's calling us to look out for our fellow brothers and sisters to not have our eyes down, to be in a community where we, we have our eyes up and say, hey, um, is this person, are they walking in the light like Jesus? Hey, how can I spur them on to, to follow Jesus more? Hey, is there, I haven't seen them in a while. What's going on? Is there something wrong in their life? And to move towards them in care. And so are we a community that cares enough to move towards people even if there's hard things going on in their life? Even if it means having that challenging conversation and I'll be honest, I don't like um, confrontation. That's not something I like. Some people like it, and I'm like, why in the world do you like What's wrong with you? Like, why do you like that? I don't like when people confront me. I don't like confronting other people. But do we care enough to tap on people's shoulders and say, hey, I noticed that you were walking in the light, and now I'm seeing this. It seems like there's something dark going on. Can I help you? Can I be there for you? Can I pray for you? Do we care enough to do that? And again, that's something we should do with wisdom. It's, it's not something like we should go to, to Facebook and like, hey, post it publicly. Like, I, I think this person is really struggling with X, Y, Z. Like that, that, no. We should do it in a caring, loving, respectful way. But we should move outward in care towards people. Saying, hey, come back to Jesus. Hey, you need to follow him. Hey, this isn't right. That's darkness. And we're supposed to walk in the light as he is in the light, like First John says. And so in wrapping up, I think James is calling us to move our lives in specific directions, and they're the directions of upward in prayer and praise and outward in confession and care.
Upward in prayer and praise and outward in confession and prayer. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen water coming down a mountain, but water coming down a mountain usually finds, finds what? It finds the path of least resistance. If it's going down and it's like, oh, here's a rock, but I can go this way, let's gravity take it. I think often in our lives, we like to follow the path of least resistance. We find the easy ways. We keep our head down like, oh, this is the easy way. Oh, that's, that, this, that way's too hard. I'm going to go this way. A life upward and outward is not the path of least resistance. It's a path of intentionally moving up the mountain. And so it's going to take intentionality. It's going to take courage. It's going to take trust in God. And so as a community, I want to encourage us together, let's move upward in prayer and praise, and let's move outward in confession and care for God's glory and for our good. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being our God. Thank you so much for modeling these things of moving upward. We see in the Gospels all the time how you are going before your Heavenly Father. And we see how you moved outward to this broken world. Lord Jesus, may you please help us to be a people that doesn't follow the path of least resistance, that doesn't put the blinders on and just do our own thing and stay isolated, but may we reach upward to you in prayer and praise, always in relationship with you. And may we move outward toward our brothers and sisters in Christ and beyond them to this broken world. Teach us how to be intentional in our relationships with you and with others. We love you, and in your name I pray. Amen.